Hello and hi, welcome to another Slice of Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks and I'd like to welcome back to the show good friends Rich Handley and Lou Tambone who have brought us another comic book anthology. This one on one of the most complex villains in not just the DC Universe, but perhaps all of comic bookdom, The Joker. And the book is called The Man Who Laughs, Exploring the Crown, Crown Prince, Clown Prince of Crime. I made that mistake in at least a half dozen emails. Don't worry about it. And and we we, we get to explore, dive deeply into the opinions of a lot of other uh, comics aficionados about the Joker, his relationships, his motivations. And we're here to talk about those and more. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. So why the Joker? Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, As you said in your opening, he's probably the most iconic villain in all of comicdom. Is that how you put it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to start somewhere, that's, that's the place to start. So this was um, originally Lou's baby. So uh, the answer to how I would say why the Joker, my answer would be because Lou asked me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I've always loved the character. I thought it was, a, it would be a great idea. Uh, you know, when in the back of your mind, you always think, well, if we do Joker, then we can do Riddler. We can do Penguin. We can do, K-, you know, I think series. Um, <laughs> we wanted to see how this one went first and carry on from there. Um, but but I, I've always been a fan. I, I don't know since I was a kid, I guess, and toys and TV and cartoons and stuff. So um, I just I, I, over the last few years, I've been collecting little any little thing I could find with the Joker on it, and just I just started to have this greater affinity towards the character, and it had nothing to do with um, the films or anything like that. I just really started to just enjoy his whole thing and i when i was looking for ideas for the next book to do uh with rich i presented him with a few ideas but this was the one that that won out um, he said either the joker or, uh my little pony and i said yeah obviously the joker yeah, yeah. rich is already working on it the, the my little right, pony. right exactly that's been going on for years plus plus uh lou is a diehard larry storage fan you know so uh, <laughs> larry yes <laughs> f troop f troop baby <laughs> right and I remember the Joker from that original 19, was it 66 Batman series? And yeah. I, I remember him overwhelming the screen whenever he yeah. was on it. And yeah. then I don't believe I paid much attention to Joker anymore until the Killing Joke came out. And I thought that was like, wait, where where did this Joker come from? Because mm-hmm. that was that was kind of new to me. And and then we shifted into darker, more terrifying Batman villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get we get to know that oh he uh, there's there's a whole lot of people in an asylum in Arkham that that don't like Batman. Okay. And then, and then we get to like Raza Ghoul. I'm like, okay, where did this guy come from? Who, who is he, and why does he hate the world so much? 
<laughs> and it just it just became fascinating that all of these people were focused on who who used to be the world's greatest detective. Now he morphed into the world's greatest vigilante, and I I still don't know where that left turn past Albuquerque took place. Well, if you actually read the book, that left turn is is noted many, many, many times. So yeah, yeah, it's a recurring concept in there. A lot of the writers, especially some luminaries from DC's past, uh, brought it up. Like everybody seemed to be to feel compelled to discuss this. Yeah, you're you're not alone in your in your thoughts there. Um, many, many many of the writers addressed it. So talk talk about that where you see all of these Batman fans talk about Joker and then they go, oh, by the way, this happened and here's why I think this happened. Yeah, I think Moore's Killing Joke was a kind of the, the big turning point. Correct me if you know, Rich, if I speak out of turn, you know, correct me, but I'm pretty sure that was the one that everybody sort of focused on and said this was the point of no return now this this was a, this was a joker who was just uh, abhorrent like like not just crazy not goofy not um like the tv show or not um pulling artwork you know from a museum and running out the back door with it um this was someone who was murderous he was murder rape like just just disgusting yeah, just exactly. horrible horrible stuff in the setting of this comic book which yeah uh, you know, <laughs> so a lot that of that book and also Dark Knight Returns. The, and, the two yeah. of them got discussed a lot. Uh, yeah. A lot of the writers felt that. Well, so it, it's it was an interesting debate that we had going without actually staging a debate. It, it, I found I don't, know, I don't know if you agree, but I I, I thought that was fascinating. From one essay to the next, depending on who was writing the essay, some praised it as the, the crowning achievements of Jokerdom, and others the death knell which yeah. I thought was a really fascinating idea, just this spectrum of reactions to this, to, to these two stories in particular, so much that almost every writer at some point felt obligated to mention. Them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And even the writers who knew the folks who were mm. writing those things. That was an interesting thing. Yeah. A couple of times you <laughs> could see them dancing on the head of a pin there going, I love these guys. They're my friends, but what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it's, it, I, I thought that there was a lot of that in, in this book, and that that made it really uh, fun to read and edit and yeah. piece together. You know, all these different opinions, great stuff. Mm -hmm. So, how many how many opinions do we have here total? Uh, Let's take a look here. What was it like twenty two or something? I'm trying to remember now. I'm just going to count uh, them up. One, two, three, four, yeah. five, six, seven, eight. Twenty two or twenty five. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, about 22 plus an intro. So right, right. early twenties. Oh, and it kept growing. We kept thinking we were done. And then like we suddenly were like, well, this wasn't covered. Or somebody would say, Hey, I hear you're doing a Joker book. Can I pitch? And we're like, um, you know, we're we're full up. Yeah, but here's my topic. Okay, you're in. All it right. just kept growing yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like super huge either. It's like a nice length. It's a good, mm -hmm. definitely a good length. Yeah, because some of the essays are short. Some of them, some of them are, are you know, they're 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 small snapshots. Others are very detailed. Uh, yeah. they, the tones wild varied wildly. Some of them were very serious. The op I think it was Tom Mason's is the opening one, right? 
That yeah. one's hilarious. The, the the opening one, we you know, we, the, what better way to open a book about the Joker than to open with a joke, right? So Tom Mason, uh, who was one of the founders of Malibu Comics, wrote an essay in the form of text messages between the creators of Batman and the Joker, as if Twitter had existed. I have a Twitter, I'm sorry. Texting had existed 100 years ago. <laughs> uh, it was very, very funny. A lot of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah sniping mm -hmm. and it was just hilarious it was it was a great way to open the book yeah standout piece everybody mentions it oh yeah <laughs> so were were there any takes on the joker or the relationship between joker batman and gotham city that surprised you excited you a little bit the thing i was sort of taken aback by and we've sort of talked about it already was that whole that line of this is the joker this is not the joker yeah you know, like, like a lot of people had very, was very much of a through line absolutely wrong opinions on it like 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 yay or nay it's almost like there wasn't a, a good middle ground there and i always felt like i fell in the in that middle ground but i was i as i'm editing this thing i'm being torn in like two different directions like mommy and daddy you're fighting you know i'm like kind of <laughs> in the middle of this like and it kind of changed changes your perception a little bit you know uh but that Especially was best when you consider who were writing these essays these were people who wrote and edited for dc for decades so their opinions carried weight yeah it, it really made me think some of these pieces I, it's something that you thought was just a harmless throwaway thing or not throw away but something that was just there you know and all of yeah. a sudden you realize wow this really had a, a enormous impact on the movies and everything else following like just and and you, and you think about that and you go oh yeah you know what that's kind of right you for said, me the one that stood out was uh well they all stood out but i mean in terms of surprising me was that my my friend valentina rossi wrote a piece about whether or not the joker is queer coded and that was not a perspective I had even considered. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had because Val offered a lot to really to, to chew on, a lot to think about. And, uh, and, and I was glad to get that one in there. I think that it was a perspective not everybody even, even considers. We, we, wanted that, we wanted some variety. We have, we have a few pieces that kind of veer off into other areas. That was one yeah. of which, which, which love it. And then um, we also had the um, Lamar's piece about the comparing the Joker to the African tricksters and folklore um, yeah. and talk about like essays where you, and this happens with all the books that we've done. I don't know about you, Rich, but for me, it's like you get an essay and sometimes, and you, you, you just like, you learn a whole bunch of new stuff and, and like there's hieroglyphics in there and all kinds of, and I, I'm now I'm, I'm recognizing what the hieroglyphics mean. Oh, that means this. And that means that it's, it's like almost, it sounds silly, but it was almost, you know, it's educational uh, in, a, in a way. It's not Lamar's essay was one of the most erudite things that, that Lou oh. and I had ever read. We, we both yeah. felt like morons the first time. <laughs> yeah. We, we suddenly realized maybe Lamar should be in the editing scene. Yeah. I had to, harder than both of us. He's the only yeah. writer that we had that I had to do a separate zoom with right. just to verify that these, you know, hieroglyphics and whatever were being translated absolutely correctly. Uh, and not, you know, yeah, because he was the only person who had any idea half of what he said <laughs> meant. Yeah. It was yeah. so interesting. It really yeah. was. But at the same time we were like, Honestly, if we're screwing this up, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I can't edit in in, in uh, Egyptian. 
Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. The 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 legend, the 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 mythology of the trickster in so many cultures. You've got African. You've got mm -hmm. uh, Norse mythology with with literally the personification of Loki. Mm -hmm. There are so many different uh, trickster myths in uh, Native American yeah. cultures. I know several of them. The coyote is the trickster, oh, yeah. and not not a pleasant character at all. And comparing that to the Joker, I, I it never would have it never would have dawned on me the Joker as trickster from mythology. So I I have something to really look forward to now. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, both Val's essay and uh and Lamar's essay were really the ones I was thinking of when I said that, you know, we would be hit with this topic and so with a with a pitch and go, I never would have occurred to me. Mm -hmm. It just never would have occurred to me. Um, so I was glad that, that Lou and I, whenever we do one of these books, we don't we tend not to say, here are 20 topics that are up for grabs. Everybody grab one, because that's kind of cocky. That would mean that we think we know everything. And the yeah, truth yeah. is, we both know that we're stupid. <laughs> so <laughs> can't argue uh, with that. <laughs> yeah. So it is better for us to assume we know nothing and say, give us pitches. And we tend to say, give us two or three because we want to be able to choose but if you have one that you really want just do one and more often than not what the writers pitch is better than what we would have assigned them and so we end up with a better book as a result and and essays like those two i get it would never have occurred to me to say tom can you write an entire essay in in, in um uh, in, in texting format making fun of <laughs> making fun of bob kane and i'm like I, I would never have occurred to me to ever pitch that right and so uh and so i'm just really glad that the writers uh were very good at thinking outside the box so i have to ask this question you said you have a lot of people who contributed to this book who have years perhaps even decades of experience writing for DC. Did any of them talk about how the changes in the Joker portrayed in comics, how that affected other comics going forward? Because I, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the old Joker. There's just, they're, they are making too much hay off of this new... I'm going to say nihilistic uh, force of nature. Mm -hmm. You mind if I take that one, Lou? Take and then it. you jump in. Um, so what you just asked basically sums up half the book. <laughs> Every single one of the, the more experienced DC veterans touched on that. Um, and sometimes just in a, in a small amount, sometimes it was the driving force of their essay. But we, we have uh, stuff in here from Bob Rosakis and Michael Jan Friedman and uh, who else? Uh, uh, Robert, Bob Greenberger and um, Len Howman, Keith DeCandido, Joe and, uh, Paul Cooperberg, Cooperberg uh, Steve Englehart. I mean, these are, you know, these are big names. Don't forget Joe, Joe Duffy. Joe Duffy. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, Joe. Joe's a good friend of mine, so now I feel stupid. Uh, but um, but yeah, so like these are people who were there when the when the, these stories were were being made, and they all feel very strongly about it. And most of them, most of them seem to lament the direction that the comics went uh, in the wake of these pivotal stories. And for me, but you know, 
it, it was it was fascinating to to read this because like Lou, I found my own perspectives changing as I was reading their viewpoints. My gateway drug into superhero comics was the Killing Joke, and so I, uh, you know, before that, most of the stuff I read was science fiction based, and and uh, I read the Killing Joke and said this is amazing. And I, I started reading a lot of other stuff. And now, I, you, I mean, I know where this is uh, audio only, but behind me is a shelf with like 10,000 comics. And The Killing Joke is largely what brought me there. But over the years, my perspective changed on that, but not nearly as much as it did while reading what all of these writers had to say. Uh, it, it made me realize just how much um, Alan Moore, and I love Alan Moore. I, I can read anything by that guy. But I, I, I realized how much he changed the comics world, sometimes for very, very much so. And, uh, you know, I mean, very, very well, sometimes not so much. And maybe the killing joke falls into the latter category. Take it, Lou. No, I, yeah, you said it perfectly. No, yeah, absolutely right. That that That's very, very true. And it, it at first, you know, when you're editing these books, you, you, you're trying to avoid re- repetition in each essay. But I felt like there were many times this, this just needed to kind of be reiterated or people wanted to make that point, but within their own essay. And I didn't want to like go pulling that stuff out. I was like, oh, we already talked about Killing Joke over here. We talked about it over here. We talked about it over here. No, let, let. Yeah, because that would have stifled conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It would have stifled debate. I yeah. mean, heck, the, the, the afterward from Steve Englehart's the entire premise of it is. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. But, but enough is enough. Uh, that's all I was going to say. Enough is en- his premise is enough is enough with all with all of these changes and uh, and and that that afterward alone it makes the word the book worth reading because it's amusing what he had to say. Yep, absolutely. Given the cyclical nature of change in comics, do either of you see? A, a a shift in how the Joker is portrayed, I don't know, five years from now, 10 years from now, ever. Yeah, I don't know if that's something you can predict. I think it changes with the times, you know, what's going on in the world. I mean, you see- the- Oh, these days it changes with the week. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that that the Joker movie that was out with Joaquin Phoenix is, is addressed in the book. Uh, Keith D. Candido did a, a really cool- uh, comparison to the Bernie Getz murders of the eighties to that film or scene in that, in that film. So like, I, I think that film and that take on the Joker was a reflection of the times and even it might've been eighties, but with reflection of more modern times and uh, dark sort of dreariness that we, especially in the political arena endure every day, you know, it's just nonsense and, and craziness and, who knows? Maybe maybe they'll get back to the funny guy uh, that I I enjoyed um, these the, the 70s, you know, 60s, 70s funny dude who just, you know, was completely over the top, you know, the guy who just thought it was a really good idea to copyright fish. Right. Like uh, to yeah. me, that's that's that was always the fun of the Joker. Like you said, on the TV show, he'd come out and and he's just crazy and running around and all these silly capers and Cesar Romero is fantastic, you know, just amazing. But, you know, then you get into these things like the, you know, the killing joke or whatever, dark Knight. you know, 
the characters start doing things that you you're like what like why would they huh like no i don't want that and then but then it, it continues from there and people people take it put it into movies right and then next thing you know it's it's just like everywhere and like i think you had said summer they're just making too much hay off of this so like you're not going to pull that back you know you want the joker to be absolutely psychopathic and just murderous and whatever else you want to say yeah i i don't think we're going to go completely back to the caesar romero joker but i don't know maybe in 10 years he lightens up i don't know would be great I would. It I would happen as a nostalgic uh, thing. It may not happen as the as the the mainstream approach to Joker, but but what's old is new again eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and I mean, think of look, look at the um the the most recent Superman TV show and how they showed that when he first arrived, he was wearing the old Superman outfits from the you know from the old um, Fleischer cartoon, right? I mean, now is anyone going to ever do a movie or a show? With that outfit, no, but that did show up there, right? And so it, it, it's it's um it's not I don't think it's I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility to assume somebody at some point will will revisit that version of the Joker. But I do think the deranged psychopath who would beat a kid with a crowbar and actually eat the entire country of China, that's the version that's here to stay. Yeah. I guess. And yeah, by the way, I, I got to tell you, talk about, talk about learning things. Paul Cornish's essay on, on Emperor Joker mm. uh, made me laugh because I had no idea that someone had ever done a story in which the Joker had eaten China. I, <laughs> I, I, that, that I hadn't read, and now I want to. Because it's a very surrealistic. Uh, it's bizarre. Truly really bizarre. Yeah. It's kind but, of but that shows you why I think eventually so, what, what is old will be new again, because even in an era in which we've had decades of the Joker as this dark, deranged lunatic who does horrible things, somebody still thought it would be funny to have the Joker, you know, conquer the universe and eat China. Like, and therefore they did it, right? Uh, my friend Val sent me a, a page from a, a recent Joker comic in which um, it's a, it's a it's sort of, it's, I, don't know, I don't know if they call it Elseworlds, but it's a what if scenario, yeah. which the, the Batman slips on a roof, falls off and bumps his head and dies. And the Joker becomes really crestfallen about this. He becomes bored and ends up getting a job, I think, at Wayne Enterprises as an office worker, which is just so ludicrous. But there's an example of something that's nothing like the current versions of the Joker, right? So somebody inevitably will, will, will become nostalgic for those older, sillier tales and come up with stuff like that. I hope so. Yeah. I I have a question for you because I saw this on Twitter sometime, I'm going to guess within the past three or four months, uh, comic book artists and, and writers are people I follow on Twitter. Screw you, Elon. I'm not calling it X. It's Twitter. Damn it. They were, complaining not really complaining just confused about a storyline that showed joker pregnant oh yeah that's in somebody mentioned that didn't someone mention that in one of the essays the joker pregnant yeah yeah there's there's a comic where oh maybe it's not maybe it's not in the book but i did see that i mean that's something that we should have had valentina cover though if that's the case it, it was, uh, oh my gosh. It, oh my it probably happened too soon, too recently to, yeah, was, to make your deadline because it literally happened within the past few months. Yeah, 
it wasn't it was maybe like uh, i would say not even yeah definitely not a year ago it was a new there was something in the news about it. i did i did i saw the picture you know it was yeah, kind of, yeah. It was, I, I i saw that and i went okay we you know this this literally we, we're in bizarro world permanently in bizarro world when that happened or in joker world rather than bizarro <laughs> there was some you know inverse explanation in 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 comic book verse you know universe uh, explanation about it and i cannot remember what it was but i remember seeing it and going wow that's ridiculous but it but then we thought oh, that's the joker this is what happens you know like mm-hmm. it was it, it, there's nothing that's going to get past this guy and they, they yeah. need to keep reinvent or inventing new things for him to say and do and i guess that's I I was just hoping that the 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 basis for it, the premise for it, was uh, one of the uh, one of the heroes in the DC universe who's gifted with uh, curses and magic. Just said, "Okay, Joker, we need to sideline you here." <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of fun. Yeah. Hmm. Oh right. man. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm curious about that. I mean, the the premise of Valentina's essay is that a good argument can be made that that the Joker is gender fluid. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. 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 So if, if if that's and 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 she backed up her case on that one. If for for anyone who's listening and then says what that's absurd, read the essay because she yeah. it does yeah. a good job backing it up. So I'm I'm going to have to ask her about the uh, about this because um, she probably has strong feelings on this. <laughs> yeah. It was it was a comical thing. It wasn't like some serious like you know whatever. But it was it, uh, in the news caused a little bit of a. A hoo-ha you know how you know how people like to get angry oh yeah yeah, yeah. It, it definitely caused an uproar and that's why you know i was curious to 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 get your take on it because you're more more versed yeah. in in comics and the joker than i am and that i i haven't dived deeply into that pool because i'm not sure i want to know <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah it is yeah it was fine i had no i have no problem comics are comics and I mean, we've seen, you know, ridiculous things on television, ridiculous things in movies. It's another art form. You see, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger was pregnant in a movie, wasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> like, he was. Yeah. I mean, what, how ridiculous is that? Well, why can't the Joker do it yeah. in a comic book? No, as, as long as it was played for, for a comedic take and not cruel, I'm cool with it. It's just one of those things where I don't think my brain could take that right now, even if it was done, you know, comedically. I can't remember the context of it. I just remember seeing the picture. Uh-huh. But I, I don't know. There might have been something a little cruel in there, but I, I can't remember what it was. It wasn't a complete joke, but it wasn't exactly. It wasn't the killing joke either. Um, so I don't know. I don't want to misspeak on it. We'll look but it. I agree with you that comics are comics. I mean, they, they're for anyone who's complaining about this. It, do enough research, and and the guys and people who wrote for this book are probably the people who would do the research. But uh, do enough research, and you'll find a thousand things more ridiculous. Yeah. The history of DC and Marvel and everybody else. The fact that there are characters with names like Arm Fall Off Boy is is far more ridiculous than a pregnant Joker, in my opinion. Yeah. Hey, in the most recent animated Legion of Superheroes, he changed his name to Arms Fall Off Man. And he was proud of that. He finally grew up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so how how do you go from, well, I guess, how do you pick your next comic book related topic for your next anthology? Well, we we did 
speak a little bit about continuing a villain series. So we may want to do that. Um, we already had a request by one of the writers, by the way. I won't say who it is yet, um, but we we will think about that. Rich and I haven't really talked about it in full yet. Um, but we, I think we, I would like to. I mean, we'd have to talk about logistics and time and all that sort of stuff. But I would like to do uh, take take the main villains and, and work them in. You know, you got your Two Face and your Riddler and your Penguin and your Catwoman and you know whoever else. Maybe we won't get down to like the B and C list. Maybe we will. Who knows? Raza Ghoul might might be one of them as well. He's less lesser talked about. I think might be fun. But- yeah, there's there's so much there's so much that can be done with Catwoman. Yeah, just, yeah. just because I mean the history of how she shifted. I mean, even in the original Batman series, there are shifts there. <clears throat> the yeah. uh, the the shifts in her portrayal through a lot of the movies, a lot of the more modern comics. Um, yeah. uh, what was it? Oh, what was the name of that TV show? Birds of Prey Birds was of the Prey, first yeah. time I had ever heard of Huntress. And when they described her as being the daughter of Batman and Catwoman, I went, wait, what? Where did that come from? What did I miss? Because I stopped reading DC Comics for the longest time. I I was a dedicated Marvel girl. And every now and then I would pick up Teen Titans. And they definitely were not talking about Batman and Catwoman knocking (laughs) boots in Teen Titans. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, we, you know, we, we have to chat yet. We haven't, we're, we're just sort of, we just launched this guy and we're working on some other projects. We've just got some stuff coming out. So we're, mm-hmm. we're sort of, in, you know, in between other little things, but the, these things are always fun to do I, for me anyway. I mean, I, I'd like to just, I, I like the, the editing process because you, know, you write your own book, you got to do your whole thing and then you edit the whole thing and then you maybe proof it, whatever. But like with these books, like you, you other people do, some writing and then you get to edit and then you get to get the through line, the themes, you know, and kind of put it together. Mm-hmm. Um, a jigsaw puzzle in a way. And I, I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. At this point um, with Lou and without Lou, I think I've done like 15 or 16 of these types of books now. And parts of the process, I love parts of the process um, explain why my hairline is so far back. Um because there are times when you when you write your own book without having other contributors, you know, you, you are in total control of what goes into the book, but you also have to write 100,000 or 200,000 words. Whereas when you do an anthology, you may just be writing an intro and an essay on, um, and everyone else is writing for you. But it also means that sometimes, and that's not the case with this, with this book. This book had great content, but every now and then you get an essay where you just go, oof. Not what we were looking for. And then you're stuck with the question of, do, uh, do we cut it? Do we keep it and, and keep guiding them to, to do better? Do we run it as is and just whistle? Uh, and, you know, I, and, and, and the, the, so there are frustrations with doing these kinds of books. But the truth is, it's also very re- rewarding because one thing that happens when you write your own book is you only have your own perspective. There's never a point where you write your own book and say, wow, I learned so much unless you decided to write a book about something you didn't know anything about. Right. Like I'm going to write a book about, you know, designer shoes. Great. Now I've got to spend three years learning about designer shoes first. So what the, the nice thing about uh, about anthologies is that you you really do learn a lot, but it's also kind of a pain in the butt. <laughs> so it's a catch 22. Yeah. 
How about Marvel heroes or Marvel villains, so to speak? Anybody in in that camp uh, get you really interested in wanting to to find out more about them? I, I feel like Marvel's been just so out there all the time, especially in the movie and TV land. You know, it's kind of like like you almost don't want to touch it for fear of getting getting you know death threats from. <laughs> God knows who, you know, Thor fans or something, right? It's like, uh, I don't know. I, I I didn't give it any thought. I've always been like a DC kind of guy, but I'm not even like a huge comic. Like Ridge is, I consider a comic book like expert guy. I'm I, I'm not a, a person who has a million comics and has read every single thing. Like I just like characters and I like fun stories and stuff like that. So I wouldn't want to be known as some sort of expert in, in comics. I it, it, unless I was, you know, but I, I'm not. I think you're underselling yourself, man. A little bit, but I really don't sit around and read comics all day. Like I read what I need, what I want to read. I read what I like to read, but I don't like grab the latest issues. I'm like, you know, eating up everything I possibly can. I like older stuff. You know, I I like revisiting old stuff that I never got. You and I are the same. That's why I think you're, 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 you're underselling yourself because that's how I am as well. Okay. Um, And it doesn't make you like one thing that always bugs me is when people use phrases like true fan. I just, I just want to, I want to smack them upside the head with a fish. And, uh, because if, if, if somebody reads every single thing that comes out or if somebody does what you just said and picks and chooses, they're still a fan. Yeah. Anyone who has actually come up with the idea of putting together an anthology about a comic book character, then had the balls to approach half a dozen people who helped to create those characters and said, you know, uh, yeah. come right for me like that that's a that's somebody who who is a fan um, right. don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise I, I think you're right yeah and there's no lack of balls we've we've asked all sorts of people to be involved in in the books we do right yeah they're people just like anybody else the worst they can do is say no right right okay me personally i think i would want to find out a whole lot more about magneto and the hellfire club but uh on the on the dc side would you consider Lex Luthor to be Ooh. an A-list villain yeah. or not? Oh, oh Lex is definitely an A-list villain. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to to look at there. Sure. Hmm. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. You know what's funny? I never even. I'm thinking Catwoman. Really, I guess I'm thinking too much of the TV show, right? I like, think it's because when you and I were having our discussion, we were stuck in Batman's Rogues Gallery mode. Yeah. But yeah. the truth is that there are a lot of great villains that came out of Superman and Flash and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern that we weren't even considering. Yeah. Probably because within our lifetime, we can't do 6,000 books. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, look at it this way. You can you can make it a series. Your, your first was a Batman villain. Your next one is a Superman villain. Your next one is a Wonder Woman villain. Yeah, the next one could idea. be an Aquaman villain. And then you cycle back and, you know, they do the next one for each and keep wow. going that way. That is that is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what current projects are, are are on your plates right now that you can talk about? Good, Rich. You take it away. Um, well, um, it, 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 I had these, there's the impending release of my next book, which is called Born on the Bayou. It's a, a with Bear Media Manor Books. It's a, um, a very detailed 300,000 word, 
you can't imagine that's that long. 300,000 word book about uh, the history of Swamp Thing and Hellblazer. Uh, and I'm in the process of proofing the laid out PDF now. Um, people may hear in my voice that I'm a little sick, so it delayed. I actually was supposed to have turned in the corrections already. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, I spent the last three days sleeping, so that, that was the end of that. Um, but basically, um, uh, that's 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 supposed to come out September 2nd, but I'm not sure that it is now. <laughs> but sometime in September, that's coming out. After that, I'm going to be doing another book for Bear Manor um, about the history of Star Trek comic books. And that is um, based on a column I've been writing for a few years that started um, when I was the editor of Eagle Moss's Star Trek graphic novel collection. I've been writing a column called Star Trek Weekly, uh, which was always intended to be um, research for a book about Star Trek comics, but Eagle Moss went under. Uh, and so I got put on hold for a couple of years and now I'm back to it. Uh, Bear Manor is doing it. And uh, the, uh, is there anything else? I mean, there are a few things I'm actually not allowed to say because of NDAs, but the, the, um, I'm, I'm writing for, for Star Trek Explorer magazine for Titan. Uh, and I, uh, I think that's it. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, swamp thing dear to my heart. <laughs> How about you, Lou? Uh, yeah, and actually I do. I have a original sci-fi novel that I wrote um, over the last few years uh, in between life events. <laughs> and so it took a while. Um, and it's finally in the uh, proofreading stage. Mr. Rich right here is one of my proofreaders. And uh, you know, I'm 50 pages from the end. I'm enjoying it. Ah, good. I'm glad to hear that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a lot, a lot of work. A lot of, a lot of, that's a three drafts, I think it was. Oh my gosh, 90, it's almost 96,000 words. I don't know. It's originals, new characters, all new things. So I, I'm, I'm really excited about that uh, to get that kind of, uh, you know, Rich knows when you got something you're rolling around in your head for a while, you just want it, like, get it out, get it done. <laughs> oh yeah. Get it, get it finished and put it away. So I've got a cover, I've got artwork, I've got, you know, all kinds of stuff happening. So that's going to come out. I've also been putting together a little, something that originated again with Mr. Rich. There's a, uh, one of those anthologies where you, you can take something that's public domain, I guess, or whatever, like Shakespeare stories, and rewrite them in different genres. That was an idea Rich had asked. Rich, Rich had asked a bunch of writers years ago, years ago. Said, "Would you guys like to do this?" And I was like, "Yeah." And, and so I went. Of course, I was the only one who ran off and like wrote something, and everybody, and then the project sort of. It, everybody got busy. Things that happen, you know, it, this happens a lot behind the scenes. <laughs> Projects come up, they go, they, they happen, they don't happen. I just kind of had time and did it. And I had this story sitting around ever since then. And, and uh, I was like thinking, I want to want to get this going. I, I had to uh, go down on one knee and, and ask Rich, please, may I take this project? You know, and no, I, said, was, yeah. I was I'm all for it because <laughs> the idea that I came up with was actually quite cool. Uh, but what I realized after I had invited everybody and that felt really bad was I realized what I really wanted was to write one of the stories. I didn't actually want to oversee the project and it just sort of fizzled. So no, the idea that, that, that you'll be taking over it and I'll just be contributing a story is excellent because that's really all I wanted anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably end up putting it's in the early stages. I'm, I got I got maybe five writers i think you're, you're one of them rich sure. um and uh, i'm gonna probably do a kickstarter and all that kind of thing uh -huh. down so e explain that again so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take um different stories of shakespeare so mm -hmm. summer night's dream you know 12th night all these things and the writers will um put a spin on it like almost like rewrite it but like um 
do their own take. So like you've seen In a different like, genre. Yeah, you you've so there might be a one of Shakespeare's stories ends up maybe being a western. You know, I'm doing uh the the, the story Twelfth Night but in sci-fi. So like you know. So yeah. so it's similar to like the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies but with Shakespeare. Yeah, but without this, you know, no zombie blood or anything. It's it, but but writers have freedom to do what they want. I mean, one guy said, "Well, I'll do a page and a half," and I'm like, "Okay, if that's what you want to do." I'll... What is he doing a sonnet? Uh, no, no, I think it was Rocco. He was gonna do one of one of the stories, and he mm -hmm. was like, "Well, I'll just I'll do like a, a a page, like a quick, almost like a I don't I don't know what, like a one two page." Mm. And it's like I, I thought that's kind of funny. Like you have all these maybe we'll have five or six decent sized stories in there, but then this one in the middle, that's like two pages. <laughs> that's kind of, kind of fun, you know, easy to edit. Right. Well, you know, where, where the idea uh, summer came from was that I, I was thinking one day about the fact that among my favorite movies are West side story, Kurosawa's Ron, uh, and, um, and, um, Oh my God, I'm drawing a blank on the name. Is it she's the man? What? <laughs> There's that too, but uh, no, that wasn't it. Uh, but uh, I'm just drawing a blank. Um, Forbidden Planet, and uh, and and so many of these classic stories really are borrowing heavily from Shakespeare and putting them in another, in a, in another um, another genre, another type of storytelling. And I realized, you know, there's an infinite potential for this, and that that's where it started. But then what I realized is I just wanted to write King Lear. <laughs> I write something about King Lear. I didn't actually. So yeah, by by all means. So there you go. Yeah. Well, well, I can, yeah, I can I can make the argument that Hamlet's father could be reinvented as a zombie. So there. Listen, if you would like to write a story for the book, oh, contact no. me after. The yeah, I, I was that was going to say. You're I in. think we just heard an audition, and yeah. I like. Uh oh, it. you're what in. Have, what <laughs> have I gotten myself into? Well. <laughs> Uh, and well, actually, the more you, the more I'm thinking about what you just said, some of the more I like that. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> write, write it. Write it. Oh no! Homework. We'll see. We'll see. Pretty cool, actually. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, I like it. Hmm. Now you got me thinking about it. That's dangerous. Ah, very cool. But uh, I will have links to the man who laughs and to uh, our our new Bayou. Down the Bayou book with the Swamp Thing. Uh, I, I, for one, am one of those many, many fans who was rather upset when WB canceled the most recent Swamp Thing series. It was, I think, 10 episodes, and it was very good. And if you can find the Blu-ray, I suggest you do. Hint, hint. Uh, but uh, like Rich, it. Lou, thank you for your time today. Any, any uh, social media platforms you are on? frequently where we could find you yeah i'm on everything if you go to the there's on facebook you can find me but then there's i also have um my publishing group two two jokers publishing and entertainment which covers books publishing and books and then you know music and live acts and booking and all that because i do all that stuff locally um but yeah people can join that group and they'll keep track of everything there and i'm on all the platforms and you can find me it's very easy I was on uh, Twitter uh, after it imploded in on itself. Uh, I found that it just wasn't worth being there anymore. So these days you can find me on Facebook, which you were able to find me on before, but these days it's just Facebook. 
<laughs> okay, cool. Well, again, the book is The Man Who Laughs, Exploring the Clown Prince of Crime, out now from, what is it, Crazy 8 Press? Mm -hmm. Yep. And we'll have links to where folks can go check that out for themselves. And we'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi right after this. Escape Pod, the free science fiction podcast brought to you by Escape Artists. I rippled a welcoming cadence of light beneath my skin, and then, seeing the newcomer was human, made my best approximation of a smile. Welcome to Helixer Transgalactic Lounge. Each week, one story told well. She should have never come back to this God's forsaken junk heap of a space station. But she couldn't help but miss it when she was away for too long. From the most astonishing and visionary storytellers of the genre. But because time is a trick of the mind, it can be hacked. And we have gotten good at it. We had to. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on the web at escapepod.org. And on Patreon under EA Podcasts. Hi, I'm Aaron Ashmore from Sci-Fi's Killjoys, and you're listening to Slice of Sci-Fi. And once again, the book is The Man Who Laughs Exploring the Clown Prince of Crime. Uh, the book is new. It is out on shelves your favorite retailers right now from crazy eight press you can find them at crazy number eight press.com and uh these anthologies are a lot of fun these guys did the the collections for uh hellblazer constantine uh they did one for stargate and one for battlestar galactica all over for uh, Sequart that uh, I enjoyed a few years back. So seeing that there's a one about Joker got me intrigued. I'm like, wait a minute. Why choose the Joker as your first villain? And now I'm kind of hoping they do consider making one about Lex Luthor. Because I, I have... Uh, I still have bitterness about the portrayal of Lex Luthor in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. That, I don't know. If, if you're going to, to highlight a villain, don't do that. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, follow the links, check that book out, and uh, let me know your thoughts if you do. There's about, you know, 20 or so essays in there, different observations, different takes on Joker, his relationship with the Bat, his relationship with the city of Gotham, uh, and more. I haven't finished it yet, but... I'm, I've learned more about 
how other people see Joker just by reading the uh, first handful of essays. It's kind of cool. But uh, you tell me what you think. Go check it out. Like he said, it's available uh, digital and print out there now. How about you? What do you think about the Joker? What villain in the comics universe, DC, Marvel, Image, IDW, any of the indies, what villain in comics impressed you enough to want to see more of the villain than of the hero he or she was uh, eh, pestering, making life miserable. Who knows? Anyway, give me a call. Leave a voicemail. The number is 602-635-6976 or shoot me an email, summer at sliceofsci-fi.com. You can also come by the website, sliceofsci-fi.com, and leave your question or comment in the discussion section for this episode. And uh, same for any other episode that might catch your eye. You can, for the moment, still find me on Twitter, at Slice of Sci-Fi. I will answer your questions there. I will start discussions there about a lot of topics. Movies, TV, baseball, soccer, MMA, a lot of times. And uh, so, feel free to chime on in. We are looking at expanding our footprint to other platforms, so... Keep an eye out for that. You can listen to Slice of Sci-Fi on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Player FM, and iHeartRadio. And if you're listening on Apple or following along on Podchaser, please consider leaving us a review on those platforms. Your feedback, your impressions, your comments on the show, about the show, get other people curious, and maybe want to make them check it out for themselves. Like I said, you can follow us on Twitter, at Slice of Sci-Fi. We also have an expanding YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Slice of Sci-Fi. You can find a lot of reviews by Noah and Lewis and Darren, uh, We also have uh, special items. The videos we did over the years from Babylon Podcast are now on YouTube for you to enjoy, including a very recent trailer reaction to the trailer for the new Babylon 5 animated show, Babylon 5, The Road Home. And old fans of Slice of Sci-Fi may be happy to know that making plans to put uh, some of the old kick-ass Mystic Ninjas episodes over there where we discuss a lot of classic science fiction both in movies, television, and books. So stay tuned for those. Hopefully those will be up by the end of the year. 
I'd like to thank everyone for supporting Slice of Sci-Fi. Your pledges through Patreon, your donations through PayPal really do help keep things online here. So my thanks go out to you all. If you're considering adding your support, the place to go is patreon.com slash slice of sci-fi. Pick a tier, any tier, and you could be eligible for perks. You will be eligible for perks, rather. Uh, every month, I pick a email address out of the proverbial electronic hat, and that person gets to select which perk they get. It could be a book, a Blu-ray, a DVD, a 4K a lot of review materials I get around here. I can't keep all of them. That's how many I get. They're just too many. So you all, as supporters, get first dibs at some really, really cool stuff. Uh, for instance, coming up very soon, there will be a giveaway for that Babylon 5 animated movie, The Road Home. Like I said, there's a 4K copy of that waiting to find... Uh, a new home. There's a copy of uh, the remastered 4K of Star Trek The Motion Picture. The new one, I think they call it the director's cut or something. There's a copy of that that's going to need a new home very, very soon as well. Plus some other goodies. But if you want to add your support without committing to a monthly pledge, the link you can use is paypal.me slash sci-fi summer. That link uh, you can use every now and then just to throw a few bucks our way, help help the geeky analysis continue along. And again, thank you for all your support. It really, really does mean something that you're willing to uh, contribute to helping me keep all this online for you and everybody. And I am supremely grateful for that. You can also contribute by shopping at our curated store, sliceofsci-fi.net. Uh, we have select books, DVDs, CDs over there. And it's that's an affiliate store. Just saying up front, that's an affiliate store. All links, all purchases through that will uh, throw a few pennies back our way in support. So again, thank you for all of that. We are expanding the uh, catalog there. It's going a lot slower than I want, but it's happening. Again, thank you all for your support, no matter in which form. And uh, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi next time. Take care. Mm-hmm.